take it by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. Perry scoops. All right, we're back with the post-game show to kick off the new year. With the Forever Mighty Podcast, it's Eddie, joined by Steven. Steven, how's it going? How was Christmas? How how was New Year's? How's everything going? Uh, it was good, man. I, I don't know. I don't have anything funny to say just, right now. Just act like we haven't caught up off off the podcast. So. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, look, the thing that I think it's most important to talk about right now is that we talk about sexy Mrs. Matt. Mm-hmm. This is very important to me personally. As someone who, you know, I'm a feminist, I believe in the rights of Mrs. Metz everywhere to, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Do you hear about that one chick selling farts? I did. I heard about that one, unfortunately. It's the best. Which is not surprising. The two things I needed to Because was there not some, somebody who, like, sold bath water at some point, too? Yeah. No, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. That's all happened, yeah. too. What a, Nothing what is surprising problem. anymore, but uh, yeah, that, that whole Miss Met thing was new to me until you brought it up today, which was... <laughs> Just, I had to let I just not I couldn't surprising, believe it. But uh absolutely killed me. I love it. Um so yeah, man, holidays were good, New Year's good. How was everything for you, sir? Well, everything was going pretty good, but now I I feel like I'm getting sick, so you know what that is. And then Ontario is going into another semi lockdown, which is always fun. So kick uh, Forever Mighty's gonna have to tweet out tomorrow that you've been placed in COVID protocols. <laughs> yeah, along with every other Ducks player apparently at this point. So Trevor Zegers tweeting out the uh, Mickey Mouse locked behind a door thing today because he wants to get out of out of isolation and back playing for the Ducks. I think that we all want Dude, that. Have too. You... So this is not whatever. It doesn't matter. So have you noticed that since the Milano Zegers goal? Trevor Zegger, like, once he got all that positive feedback initially and, like, response to him, he has really, like, stepped up, it feels like, how active he is on social media, like, how kind of cheeky he's being with some of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, like his uh, all-star and, game highlight reel. <laughs> yes, like, that, dude, that was awesome. That. Like, it's just, it just feels like he really did kind of have his moment and, like, it... <sighs> If he wins the Calder, it feels like the Milano Zegers thing is going to be the moment that it changes because that is just such a flashpoint in kind of, I feel like, the duck season. And so I just think for me, like, the way that he's grown, even off the ice, just in the time since then, has been well, he got, awesome. He got like it's a, been so good. After that him. goal, he got like a crash course in handling all different types of media over like a week and a half because right. he was on like probably 15 to 20 different shows where he went on as a guest <laughs> to talk about the goal. And then after that, it was the goal plus towards his comments. So he was on a, a bunch of different. So I'm sure he got a crash course from the Ducks social and communications department on, on handling the media. So he's a he's a pro now, clearly. But yeah, I mean, like he's been, yeah, more engaged. Like you said, like just we don't see a lot of the Ducks players kind of. Uh, Max Jones probably more than anybody. And now um, 
Zegers mm-hmm. is kind of getting involved in that, obviously, just you know, just engaging, just being I, out there and having a personality, which is a little bit different from the nothing. And this is no slight to Getzlaff and Perry, but you know <laughs> what we were. That's not yeah their bad, what yeah. we're used to. Like Ryan Miller years. is the biggest poster at this. Yeah, point. or Joffrey Lupul. Joffrey Lupul was super fun on Twitter. For Kessler a while. to some extent. Um, not like on his own social media, but like remember between two ferns and different things like that, right? The two yeah, Zambonis, so. yeah, 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 those were fun. Oh yeah, between two Zambonis, yeah. So yeah, I mean he was kind of that, but yeah, in terms of you know on their own social media having their own kind of voice and personality, it was really Max Jones and now Zegers being a part of that is nice. But it'd be nice to get him back in the ice. I think for Milano, this was his best game since Zegers has been out of the lineup. Like, I was fully prepared to come into this game if Milano didn't do anything. Not to get on him and be like, oh, man, he, he's nothing without Zegris, but to, to kind of highlight the impact that Trevor Zegris has on that line and on mm-hmm. this team. But it was nice to see him get going, and he wasn't with – he wasn't on the top line, right? He was playing with Steele and with Terry, so for him to get going mm-hmm. and, and play well and then obviously to score the power play goal, it was nice to see him get kind of back in the score sheet and have a really good game. And other than Terry – getting the hat trick tonight he was probably the ducks best forward yeah i mean like we should probably just say this now there's all the obvious caveats about this basically being an alumni game uh for the ahl teams almost um but that being said there were still you know legitimate nhlers on that ice tonight um and i you know i i really do think if you take the score out of it i think milano had the best night of anybody and that's not to to minimize Troy Terry's impact on the game. Cause I thought he was fantastic, but I just think like, you know, I kind of tweeted about this the other night that like the last game uh, to me was the game that he proved he could probably be. He, that's the game to me where I saw him be a guy who can drive his own line. Mm-hmm. Right. Like even when he was playing with Getsy and he was playing super dynamic and him and Henry kind of had that, that chemistry and all that stuff. Like I don't felt like he ever looked like the guy who was driving the bus. And the last game I thought he completely took over and he really did step into the role that was kind of left by Zegers. And this game I think was Milano doing the same thing. Like Milano was everywhere. Like he was engaged physically, like he was getting into it with Ristolainen in the corner. He's trying to flip, um, you know, I, I just thought he was super active and super engaged tonight. And it was, yeah, I think like you said, like, I, you know, I would say it's probably one of his best games as a duck period, even with Zegris, just because of how impactful he was on his own. Like, you know, it, it wasn't the interplay between him and anybody else. It was just he just went out there and played really yeah, he, well. He, do, he did everything that he normally does when you see him on a line with Zegris. Both him and Zegris are really good at hounding the puck carrier and, and pressuring and, and forechecking well and hard. And he did that in this game. And then just create creativity, like you said, kind of flipping the puck from behind the net um, to get the puck out in front of it into a high-scoring area and just really engaged in both sides of the ice is just what you want to see from him. And, uh, I mean, somebody has to lead the way right now, and if it, you know, it can't all be Troy Terry every night when you have no Getzlaff and no Henrik and no Zegris, so it's nice to see Milano getting involved. I thought Maxim Comtois looked pretty good, too. He picked up the, the lone mm-hmm, assist absolutely. at the end of the night, and you know the production is still going to be the big factor for him, but I thought he looked better in this game, and uh, I, I think when Getzlaff comes back, you know the way he kind of showed out with Troy Terry tonight, and I think they had some good chemistry and... and 
Comtois looked a little bit more comfortable out there. We could see Getzlaff come to Ontario once Getzlaff slots back in the lineup, hopefully soon. Yeah, I would love to see that lineup. I think that would be, um, you know, I think as wing as a wing pair, I think um, Terry and Comtois make a lot of sense um, just because of their styles and, and their fit together. And then having him with Getty obviously makes a ton of sense because of his playmaking ability. Um, but I think since he's come back, I think as he was part of COVID protocol, kind of right as soon as he got back yeah, injured. I think so. He's looked very, very good since he's come back. Um, you know, he's looked a lot more like the player he was last year. Like I know, you know, some of his underlying metrics as far as his impact and stuff were kind of steady, mm-hmm. but I, I just don't think he looked like the same guy that we saw last year lead the team in points. And I think these last few games, even though, you know, other than the assist, the production hasn't been there. He He's looked a lot better. He's looked a lot more... Um, I, I guess engaged is kind of the word I keep finding right now. Yeah. So. yeah, he played the game against Arizona. That was his first game back. And then missed the game against Vancouver and then played the last two, Colorado and Philadelphia. Or, no, he would have missed another one, right? I would assume. What, what was it? Um, wow, I can't, I can't believe I can't remember this. Uh, Vegas. Missed Va- Vancouver and Vegas are the two games that he missed. Um, and then comes in against Colorado, picks up an assist. I thought he played good in that game, and then obviously the assist tonight on the empty netter. But outside of that, again, I thought he played a lot better. So it's, it's encouraging, right? And we still haven't seen in fully optimized lineup yet where we get, you know, Getzlaff come to Ontario, Zegers, Milano, you know, Raquel, Lindstrom, Silverberg, Henrique, something like that where we can see, mm-hmm. you know, everybody healthy in the top nine the way, you know, the way the Ducks want to see it, the way we want to see it, you know, everybody that can contribute into the lineup. And really then the only guy that, you know, we're waiting to get back at this point then um, from an injury is Max Jones, right? And other than that, right. everybody is here. The defense is healthy right now, which is one good thing. John Gibson is healthy. So now it's it's not so much injuries. It's just what every other team is dealing with right now. It's the COVID protocols with Zegris and Getzlaff mm-hmm. and Henrique. And I, I mean, I would assume, uh, what is it, Thursday or Friday is the next game that we'll see uh, both of these guys back at this point are, you know, at least Zegers and, and Getzlaff. Oh, Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. yeah. It's Thursday. Obviously. I know that. It's, you know, I've been um, out, out of the, the loop Detroit so game. much with, with all the COVID protocol games and games getting mm-hmm. postponed. Like somebody tweeted out, um, earlier in the day and they said, it feels like preseason because like there's, there's only like two or three games a day when there's supposed to be like seven or eight because so many are postponed. And then, the guys who are playing, like mm-hmm. you've got a bottom six, like you had for the Ducks today. We've got like Danny O'Regan and Bryce Kindop and Buddy Robinson and Bo Gru playing, and like you have that for most of the teams right now. Because like Edmonton just had McDavid going to COVID protocol, Toronto just had Matthews going to COVID protocol. So like all these teams right now, it just feels like you're watching preseason or like late playoff push where like guys are getting benched. Yeah, like honestly, it felt. I think preseason is the right way to put it. Um, because, like, it's been one of those things where I'm almost, like, just kind of during when this COVID thing has kind of been really bad right now as far as impacting the season. Um, it's It kind of just, for me, turned into a thing where I almost just kind of waited until, like, the afternoon to figure out which games were actually playing. And, like, I completely kind of ignored the schedule because games were getting postponed, games were getting changed. You know what I mean? And it was just, like... It's just, it's honestly felt kind of like a winter break for the league yeah. as far as just the attitude, like just, you know, around everything. It's just kind of, 
weird and, and blasé right now. And, you know, so to get a 4-1 win tonight was great. Yeah, in a game that I was uh, – like, I, I know they had to go forward with it. Like, Philly had already made the trip out there. I don't think there's any way they're going to ever postpone this game. But, like, you get the announcement before game that it was Drew and Provorov go into COVID protocol for uh-huh. Philly. And then the Ducks didn't have Zegris coming back or Getzlaff coming back yet, and they have still all their guys in COVID protocol. And they were – Dallas Aikens mentioned earlier in the day uh, that they only had 10 forwards and they had to call more guys up from San Diego. Thank God it was a home game. Otherwise, it probably wouldn't have gone forward. They would have – or just had to play probably with uh, with 10 forwards and move a forward up onto, uh, onto the wing. This Hunter Drew is, is potentially earning a call up soon. If uh, Dude, I really thought that that was going to be close to what happened yeah. just because, you know, like logistically we've talked about it before as far as him having that defensive, you know, growing up. They drafted him as a defenseman, yeah. you know, so he's he's kind of got that versatility in that way. But more than anything, like it was just like it would be very funny to me if like he was just randomly the one guy that was kind of healthy and not in protocol. And they were just like, oh, all right, fine. Because it would kind of be the perfect game for him to step into. Uh, hopefully soon. But, yeah, San Diego has their own uh, COVID issues right now. I don't know who is in protocol because it's not really like the NHL where we get updates on that constantly where we know who's in and who's not in protocol. But uh, I would hope that, uh, you know, I hope that he's not, and hopefully he gets a call up soon because I know you've definitely been waiting for him to get a call up. But, it, it, but I again, get, like I, Philly too would have been a good game for him to come in. And play, exactly. But, uh, hopefully soon, but yeah, when you've got, um, I don't know what else he has to do. Like uh, Kindup's been great, and I'm glad to see him get his NHL debut. A guy who wasn't drafted. It's always nice to see those guys get a shot and, and play a game. But like O'Regan, Kindup, Buddy Robinson, and Bo Grew, and I know Grew's played this year, so maybe you can take him out of that. And even Robinson has been on the fourth line recently, so fair enough. But yeah, Kindup and O'Regan get the call up over Tracy or Perot or Drew, or others that, you know, we don't know if they're in protocol mm-hmm. or not, but it would have been nice to see those guys. I know, like, the spots in the roster is still kind of filled, so it would have been, like, a third-line center spot, really, for who to play in. So it's not like you want to call up Tracy to play, you know, fourth-line left wing. It makes a bit more sense for Kindop to play there. But I would have liked to know kind of who was in the mix there because there are a lot of guys in San Diego that I still want to see play. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think as soon as we heard that it was going to be one of those things where they were definitely going to have to call someone up, everybody kind of was hoping it would be Tracy and Perot. And, like, I don't know if this is right, but I feel like we kind of had a sense a week or so before Drysdale and Zegers got called up last year that it was going to happen. And I just don't feel like there's been any of that talk about them coming up at all. Yep. Like that that conversation seems to be entirely within the fan base, which like makes sense because you see how well this team is doing. You look at the obvious skill that they have and you're just like, yeah, like bring them up. But as far as like kind of from, you know, the team, like it hasn't felt like there's been any of that talk at all. Yeah, and, and they've cooled off a little bit too. Like, not to say they're they're playing bad, but from the way Perot was playing early on, and then Tracy had his kind of spurt there too. It, it's like when Zegris and Drysdale were there, and that talk started coming up. Is like they played ten or twelve games down there, and and we're getting you know multiple point nights like pretty much every night, and we're clearly like the two best players on that team, and some of the best players in the league at that point. 
Uh, like Perot and Tracy both have 17 points in 22 games, which isn't bad, and it's a great step forward from both of them this year. But it's not quite, you know, oh, we got it. There's no way we have to call this guy up right now. Like he's playing out of his mind. We we need to give him a chance. And also for San Diego, like those are their two best players, and really like the the only consistent offensive players they have right now. So to call them up and just to come in for a game to play the fourth line against Philadelphia is probably not the best option for them right now, even if, if the goals aren't – I don't think the goals are playing tonight. But, um, you know, either way, like it, there's, it's not the right time, I don't think, to call these guys up. I'd love to see them play, but I think you can play in a little bit better where later on in the season, if guys have moved out the door, you can actually give them a proper, a proper introduction to the yeah. team and a proper shot in, in a position for them to do well. No, I, I agree. I definitely, like, I think there's a way to set the table a little bit more. I mean, I don't think that they care what the circumstances are that they get called up yeah. into. You know what I mean? And I think that's, like, that's like more than fair. But I, I do think that you can definitely put them in a better situation, not coming off a losing streak, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, drop them into, like, a homestand where they can get two or three games in in a week. Um, without having to travel or anything like that. So, I mean, they're going to be up at some point. Yeah. Like, even if it's just for five or six games, like, I, I just have a hard time thinking we're not going to see them at all. And that's fun. But, like, to your point about them lighting it up, like, uh, Minnesota just called up Margot Rossi and Matthew Boldy, and they're expected. I, I don't know if the Minnesota played tonight they or play they played tomorrow or yeah. something. I picked, I picked them oh, both okay. up in fantasy, so <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to go for that game. <laughs> But, like, you know, like they were saying, like, I think Boldy had, like, 27 points in 21 games in uh, AHL. I think he plays for – I think the team is yeah. Iowa. Yeah, he has 10 and 10 this year, and then he has, like, 14 and 10 last year. So he's been unreal, you know, and Boldy and leads them in scoring. Or Barassi leads them in scoring, and, yeah. But, yeah, like, and so, like, you know, and then they're kind of getting it for a COVID call-up, but they're also kind of riding this wave right now as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they're guys it's you can all... stick up to, right? Yeah. Like there's an there's an actual spot where they could come in, like in in the case for Minnesota too, right now. Like Eric Sinek is their number one center. He's out week to week right now with an injury. So Ryan Hartman is their number one center right now, and then Frederick Goodrow is their second line center. Like there's a, it is a logical time for Rossi yeah. to come up right now. He's over a point per game in the AHL. Can literally. Either if it's not first line center, if they want to keep Hartman there because Hartman's played well this year, he can jump into their top six, and Boldy can mm-hmm. jump right into the top nine with the guys that they have out and and have you know um, out with COVID protocol and out with injury right now. So it makes sense for them, and I think the Ducks will get to that point eventually with Perot and Tracy, where there's a time that makes sense to call them up to give them the proper introduction to the team because it's you know it, it's not the same situation. But with Trevor Zegers, you would have never called them up if the Ducks had no way to jump him into the top top nine at the very least, right? And play him in a, in a position right. where he's going to succeed. You, you don't want to call these guys up and play them on the fourth line in a game where you're already understaffed and, and they're not going to get a lot of ice time. Yeah, I mean, like, do you drop, like, do you just drop Marco Rossi onto Kaprizov's line? I mean, yeah. Do you just play him with Kaprizov? I, I think. Like, right off the jump? Because you got to figure, right, he's their, he's a number one center prospect, which means he is at some point going to play with Kaprizov. Now, whether they end up going the Chicago route and splitting him up to have two strong lines, that's a different conversation. But at some point, they're going to play him with 
cap yourself. Yeah, I would think so. I, I think it's really hard to not play Ryan Hartman there because he's got 28 points in 31 games this year. <laughs> like, I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, it, it's a slight to that guy to just be like, hey, listen, this kid who's not played one NHL game yet, we're going to take you off the top line. He's going to play there. I, I think in, in the Wilds sure. case, like even with Rossi going into the second line, which I think he will, I don't think there's any way Frederick Goodrow plays there. So that's what Felino and, and Fiala. So even even oh, that, Fiala, right? Sure. Like playing with a shooter like Fiala, I think I think works well for for Rossi and Fiala's starting to get hot with three goals in his last two games. So I I think for Minnesota it makes sense. And DB Lowry mentioned in the chat too, like Minnesota waived uh, Victor Rask to make room for Marco Rossi too, which isn't a big move. Mm-hmm. Rask hasn't been great for them, but it is some vote of confidence there, right? That they moved a guy out to. Uh, to bring him up, but enough enough Minnesota Wild talk. I know Steve and I both love the Wild. Uh, we have a few Patreon shows planned around the Wild, but get back into some of the Ducks action. Obviously, there's three games we missed and haven't covered. All right, we're not going to go in depth about them, but the Ducks the Ducks lost all three of those: uh, Vegas, uh, Vancouver, and Colorado. Um, the Vegas game was just awful in terms of you know, the, the Ducks just got hammered in that game. Uh, I think what total shots were like 48 or something for Vegas at the end of the game. Um, yeah, well, it, it was not a fun game to watch. I, I think the reaction of that after that game from a lot of people was a little bit too much. I, I know, I, you know, Vegas is a great team. They're starting to get on a roll. And we're all still kind of in that zone where, like, okay, the Ducks are good, but are they, you know, when are the wheels going to fall off? I think we've slowly kind of moved away from that, like, 10, 10 games into the season where we were like, okay, this is going to fall apart at some point. I think, like, we're we're kind of in in the point now where we, we know they're a pretty good team and they can at least compete for a playoff spot. But I feel like the reaction after that game was just unreal. Like. The, the Ducks got beat by a good team, a team that they notoriously struggle against, and everybody's like, "Oh no, nope, they're they're back. The Ducks are bad again. They're they're, <laughs> they're gonna." Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's situational, right? I like, I just feel like Vegas is one of those teams that gets under Anaheim fans' skins, but like they get under a lot of teams' skins. Um, you know, they walked into the league and they made it all the way to the finals. Like, you know what I mean? And, and they've been a competitive playoff team ever since. Um, so like, I, I get that part of it, but it, you know, Hey, like to one extent, I think there's something to be said for that kind of like taking it on the chin as far as like, okay, so like we still have a way to go before we get to like where the real contenders are. But I also think that you can go overboard and be a little too, they're a fucking lottery team now. Yeah. It's like, no, they're 500 right now as far as points percentage, like, I mean, now they'll be under 500, I guess, for the first time this season. Um, but they're all, they're almost firmly in a top three spot in the Pacific, just because. Uh, oh, jeez, my mic's falling. Just because <laughs> Edmonton has uh, like completely fallen off. Um, I think Edmonton still, if they win all their games in hand, they've got three in hand that they would be one point in front of the Ducks. They'd oh. have 44, but. It's really Vegas, Anaheim, Calgary right now. Unless Edmonton, Edmonton can get things going here, and they they don't have McDavid until he gets a positive COVID test at any point here. So the Ducks are they deserve to be in playoff contention. I'm looking at the standings now, and the Kings are actually sneaking their way back into a playoff spot too, which is well. That's what I was gonna say. Like, <laughs> like, like, 
how far out of it is Vancouver? Because, like, uh, the Kings I'm not going to necessarily trust. But, like, Vancouver has the high-end talent to go on a streaky one, like, on a streaky run. Um, Especially with... I love watching you fight with your microphone. This is the funniest thing in the world right now. Um, But, like, especially with Markstrom? No, Demko. Uh, Demko playing so well in Vancouver. Um, you know, they definitely have all the pieces to go on a streaky run, but like at this point, I think Anaheim needs to kind of, I mean, once you get healthy, figure on what their best 12 is and, um, just run with that for the rest of the season. Cause like they're committed to competing at this point. What is going on, Eddie? I, I, I mean, the only people that can hear this are watching. So, like, this is very funny. But, like, for anybody listening after the fact, Eddie had to completely take his microphone off of his desk. Then it looked like it was trying to attack him. So he was, like, holding it in front of him, falling backwards over himself. And now he's maybe got it put back, we're back. but he's not sure. Oh. Yeah, we're back. You okay? Oh I just saw it like slowly <laughs> tilting towards me. I'm like, oh god, this isn't good. It's falling apart. Dude, that was so funny to just watch you fight with that thing for like three minutes. Oh man, it just I Roger. forgot uh, lefty Lucy, righty tidy, and it just <laughs> <laughs> everything went out the window at that point. So. <laughs> Is that why it came off completely? Is because you turned no, it no, no. It just it's just started falling because I I I got it attached to like not a flat surface, so it just slowly fell off, I guess. But then I was trying to undo it and put it back so it would fit, <laughs> and I tightened it too much, and yeah, it didn't it didn't work out that well. <laughs> the things the things that happen uh, on the first first oh, show this back. Is the worst so. episode in the world. Um but I don't know what the hell were we talking about. The Ducks about? are good. They're oh, in a playoff spot. They're in a playoff spot. So like, you know, at this point, like I said, I think they just need to try to find their best 12 forwards and go with that. I think their best six defenseman is pretty much set at this point, unless um, they're looking to move somebody out. Um, I think it's pretty established who the six are going to be for the rest of the year. Assuming everybody stays healthy. Yeah. yeah. And we saw a uh, future duck, uh, James Van Riemdijk playing tonight. Yeah, got yeah. stoned by John Gibson cases. a few times, and then had that late deflection that went right through Gibby's pads and just missed the post. Yeah, and... that one was wild. I wondered at first, just because I couldn't quite tell. Like, I was wondering if it was one of those ones where he just caught it with like the blade of his skate, but it just went right through him and never touched him. So yeah. Gibby had a good game too tonight. So it was nice to see him yeah, get he... back into yes, playing very well, much so uh, after a few kind of tough games. Uh, the one thing that we didn't. We don't get to cover, and we didn't get to cover over the break. Was the World Junior Championship was supposed to go on, and they Canada played three games or two games, two games I think. Mason McTavish had th- five points, uh, was co-leading the tournament I think in scoring with Connor Bedard and a few other guys. I think Brad Lambert had five points as well. Uh, but he looked like one of the best players at that tournament, which is what you kind of expected. He looked like a man amongst boys, which is, again, for a guy who's like 6'3", 215, and he's playing against you know, 18, 19-year-old kids who are yeah. you know, around 170, 180 pounds. It, it kind of makes sense that the two best players for Canada were probably the two most NHL-ready guys in Owen Power and Mason McTavish, so it's not, it's not surprising. Then a, a super freak 
athlete in Connor McDard who's just going to be unbelievable. So it it makes sense that McTavish is one of those those players. So unfortunately, we don't get to review his play there and look at. Uh, I think tomorrow would have been the the gold medal game and the bronze medal game. Uh, if I remember in the schedule correctly, but Mason McTavish is on the long list for Canada t- at the Olympics, so that'll be nice to see him go there and play. <laughs> is there? He's going to be playing against the almighty it's... Chinese national team. <laughs> it's just so funny to me that it's like, all right, the World Juniors, we have to cancel it because of the COVID stuff and everything's getting bad. Also, these kids who are all just at World Junior, we're going to send these same kids to the Olympics, and it's like. How does any of this make sense? I don't. I it, 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 I don't know. Yeah, I, I I don't get it. I know the the big thing for a lot of the NHL players and some of the one guys that didn't want to go was that like quarantine period that they'd have to potentially mm-hmm. stay in China for like two weeks or something to right to quarantine. If they got another positive test, it would be another two weeks. So I could see why they didn't want to do that. But yeah, I mean, it's a tough situation to throw these kids into. I I think for them, it's a great opportunity. I'd love to see Mason McTavish play. Um, again, it's similar to the Terry situation when he went and played, right? <laughs> Where mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's great. That's They're exactly playing at the Olympics, saying. but it's not the Olympics is what we're normally used to, right? Like the only, the only tough team per se that you're going to face is Russia because they're going to, you know, they're, they're, they're going to bring a fully stacked team of, K, you know, their KHL superstars and a lot of their um, players from the World Juniors will, will probably get a shot. Guys like Matt Vay, Mitch, Mitch Kov, and a few of their other top guys. So they'll bring a fully stacked team even without NHL players. So that's the real competition, and they'll probably win the tournament as well. But for, for McTavish, it would be nice to see him go there. I just, I just weigh up. Is it almost better for him to just stay in the OHL and not have to risk, you know, positive COVID tests and missing times there? I know he has to serve a suspension, so maybe this just works out, and he can just serve his suspension while playing in the Olympics. <laughs> it could be, <laughs> it could be something like that. that. But I, I like, I, I just think, you know, personally, on a on a safer note for him to to finish out the rest of the year and 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 have a good year in the OHL, maybe it's better for him to stay behind. But I would love to see him, you know, pull on the Canada jersey for the Olympics. I think it'd be a great opportunity for him and one. That you know, in the NHL, this might be the only opportunity he gets to play for Canada at the Olympics. So it would be uh, it'd be a tough one to pass up. I think I, I know I know it's a tough situation to go into though to go into China and have to to deal with all the everything surrounding COVID right now and have to to go over there and try and and try and play some hockey. <laughs> so it's it's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, look, you know how I feel about the Olympics and the pros going and how much I'm not. I would rather it be exactly what this is. I mean. You know, I, I really do think that the Olympics were huge for Troy Terry um, and his development um, just because of the kind of the position that he was put in. And he was, you know, he ended up by the end of the tournament becoming one of the, the, the more important players on the team. He had his mini TJ Oshie moment, I think, at World Juniors and in the Olympics where he was doing, you know, 15 in a row uh, shootout moves, stuff like that. Um I think it's really exciting for all the kids to be able to go, like you said. Like, it's tough to pass up, especially with how, I don't know, like, tenuous, I guess, the relationship between, like, the players and the league are as far as, like, the Olympics goes. Um, You know, and then there are all the obvious, the COVID concerns. And, you know, like I said, I think it's weird that the World Juniors is bad, but the Olympics is fine. But 
if there is something there that you know they the players and everybody involved feel like it's safer then like yeah i think it would be great for mason mctavish to go out there and play a bunch of play against a bunch of khl guys on steroids like I, i'm fine with that i think that would be <laughs> so a lot that's more his uh his <laughs> level of competition at this point i guess than playing against uh well that's the thing you're talking about him being so big it's like him even at the world juniors dude like he looked like Andy Reid in that old footage at the Rams game of like the kick pass punt where Andy Reid is just looks like he's from a complete other planet and these other kids like come up to his waist. Like that's what Mason McCavish looks like out there. Like the play that he got suspended for, like I'm not I'm not saying it's a bad play, but like or it's a good play. But like how much of that play is changed by just how young everybody is. You know what I mean? Like he's physically developed in a way that a lot of the guys in that league yeah. aren't. And he, you know, dangerous hit, bad timing, but he's also just bigger. And that, I think, exacerbates kind of some of the problems with those kinds of hits. And so it's just like, you know, if you can get him in a, in a place where he can kind of take the gloves off as far as his physicality, I, I think there is a lot for him to learn. Yeah. And I mean, those games he played in uh, at the World Junior Championship, too, it was against like Austria and I think Germany. Right. <laughs> like, it it was uh, a cakewalk to say the least to go in against those games. Like, but it does give you a glimpse of hopefully like when he is if he hits his full potential at the NHL level, like what you can expect, right? Like you get that small kind of glimpse of his hands, like and his shooting ability, things that weren't necessarily on full display all the time when he was had his nine game stint with the Ducks, because obviously you know he's getting adjusted to the NHL level. So it is nice to kind of get that contrast where you can shake off some of those Nick Ritchie PTSD vibes where you're like, oh, man, like he's just a big kid who can go to the right. net where, okay, no, you, you can see that there's some there's some skill here that uh, you don't you didn't necessarily get to see in that stint with the Ducks, which is nice, which I like to see from that, and that's what you want to see from these kids. What we saw, we said that about Comtois when he went to this tournament too, where you want to see them go and dominate and play well because that's what they're expected to do, and especially for, again, we'll bring it up, consistently here but McTavish a kid of his size and and his uh, you know skill set and ability right now and his experience playing pro already overseas before in his draft year and then with the Ducks this year like he was expected to go in and do that so for him to go in and and fulfill that ex those expectations are huge and, and again he'll be expected to go to the Olympics and if Canada goes up against China or some of these other weaker teams, he'll be expected to do that as well. And I think he'll play a big role. You look at some of the names that were on this roster, like he should be an important player, right? Like, like when there's no NHLers involved, these kids are yeah. probably the best bet that, that this team has. Like when you're, you're got guys like Brandon Leipzig and Jake Rattan on the roster, they're going to be leaning heavy on, on McTavish and Perfetti and a few of the other guys that they brought. Yeah, no, well, Owen Power is going to be there. But, I mean, yeah, like, I would imagine that, like, Power from uh, – that uh, McTavish and Perfetti are probably the top two centers for that team, even, yeah, you know, even if it being against, you know, fully grown – like I said, 35-year-old Russians who smoke a pack of day and are on steroids. Like, well, even the junior teams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That story was ridiculous. With the, they were vaping so on the plane. And the, of... the coach was playing Russian rock music and just didn't care. I love that. It's so, so <laughs> Russian. Just amazing. Just absolute little assholes. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, you would uh, you would expect him to go to that tournament and play well. So. But, yeah. Yeah, I think they'll play big roles. Um, 
it, it'll be interesting to see, right? Because like you said, like you saw those clips of all those players in uh, in World Juniors, like all the high-end players. And like a lot of the clips came from like Canada and the U.S. But still like, you know, where you see these guys just kind of take over a whole shift and they just like play keep away from everybody else on the ice for 20, 30 seconds. And, you know, they're almost going from point all the way down and back to the point and then looping into the center. Like McTavish had one shift like that where I think he pulled off that nifty backhand yeah. play where he just turned and he just went all the way up around the dots and turned back in. And it's just insane to see, you know, the level of skill that accompanies what is, you know, a power forward play as far as using his body and his size to muscle a guy, but to have the patience and the skill to make the play at the end of it is, I think, the thing about him that makes him so exciting. Yeah, and the, the fun thing about it, too, is everybody kind of coming around on that pick, too, right? It, is It was a clear uh-huh. one-two in that draft, and then things got interesting with the Ducks at three on what they were going to do, and then McTavish gets picked. And, and, and I don't think I, uh, I could correct myself if I was wrong. I don't think I ever said it was a bad pick, but there was guys I would have liked at that spot over McTavish. And even mm-hmm. now, like just looking at kind of the skill set that he brings and, and the different type of player that he you know, will kind of slot into this roster versus what we already have, like it, it just complements the pieces the Ducks already have so much. And it's just been nice to see him kind of prove the doubters wrong, myself included, that he deserved to go at that spot and is kind of vying potentially to be the best player from the draft or at least the top prospect from that draft as things stand right now just based off his play. Like everywhere he's gone since the draft, he's dominant. He came to the NHL, looked like he belonged, but, you know, for the Ducks, they thought it'd be better served to him to play center in the OHL, and then he goes back there and scores a hat-trick in his first game back and goes into one of the the most snacked uh, Canadian teams that they've had in the last few years and is probably the best player. I've seen a lot of people say that he was the best player at that tournament, Uh, and that's with guys like Connor Bedard playing the way that he did, having a four-goal game, and Owen Power being the first overall pick in that same draft, scoring a hat-trick in that tournament as well for a lot of people to walk away from that and saying, yeah, he just looked like he was the best player there. Like, that's huge. It's a tough team to go into. There's a lot of good players that get lost in the shuffle in teams like Mm -hmm. that where they are top first-round picks or top prospects for whatever team, and for whatever reason, like, they just get overshadowed by some guys on the team, and it's easy to do that, especially for a player like McTavish, who like the skill isn't always evident at all times. Like he's a big physical power forward, and for him to come out and just show all mm-hmm. facets of the game is huge. Like it's it's really exciting when you then take into what Zegris is doing this year in the NHL right now, and think, okay, if McTavish can take a step forward like that next year, and these guys really start getting going, and and you know, there's no there's no physical adjustment for McTavish. To, into the NHL at any point. Like, he's ready to go. It's just how quickly does the offense and, and the skill start to come into his game at the NHL level. The the light at the end of the tunnel gets a little bit closer with uh, with the way he's playing right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, again, like, I, it just, it's kind of crazy, but where you get closer, you know, or I say, I, I feel more confident, I guess, every day that at some point we're going to see Zegers, McTavish, Lundestrom, grew down the middle. Like, that's going to be the centers at some point in the next, I don't know, three, I mean, four if, years. If, Z- if Getzlaff retires at the end of the year, 
That's and the Henry, question, right? that's the big and Henry's no longer a center on this team. Like that could be next year, right? Like it, it would be yeah, no, Zegers one, Lindstrom two, McTavish three, Groove four, four, probably to start the year, and then you know never know. McTavish probably could uh, could take over two C, but I, I think it, it's crazy that it could be as early as next year, depending on what happens with Getzlaff, that we see that because there really isn't anybody else in the way because Henrik has kind of been moved to the wing and whether he's still here or not is, is up for debate as well. But um, it, with McTavish, it, it feels like the goal is to play him at center next year. So you really could see that. Yeah. You know, and then you've got Pastiak, you've got Zellweger, you've got Perot, you've got Tracy, you've got Thrun, like you've got all these other names that are kind of around right now. And, it, it really makes, I just think, it makes this season very interesting and weird. In, in, in a good way, not in, in, a, in, a, in a bad way, but just it just makes it kind of weird because you can just feel, just based on kind of lineup choices and where players are in their careers, that like this season wasn't, like obviously the season wasn't supposed to go this way, but it just feels like it's a weird time as far as where the two groups of players on this team are. Um, you know, and it's like, how much of this do we go in on? Right. Because like, you know, in the NFL, it's basically the moment that you realize that your quarterback is legit. You have until the end of his rookie contract to get to, to use your best shots. Right. Because once that rookie contract's up, you're going to have to pay him all yeah. that money. Well, as we're seeing star player contracts go up appropriately, that's going to start being even more the case. Right. If you're going to start having to spend nine, ten, twelve million dollars on some of these kids out coming out of their first deal because they're, you know, playing at that level and they're being allowed to perform at that level, like then you you only have a short amount of time, right? Like you have to make the years on that ELC count. And like I, I think it's a little too early to say for this year for sure. Like, you know what I mean? Like I I very much want them to go all in on this year within reason like all in is probably over exaggerating but like i want them to go for it this year but i also don't think that you truly mortgage the future in any way to make a push this year next year maybe it's a different conversation right maybe zegris looks that much better maybe mcavish is an everyday player holy shit now what are we talking about i I think for the ducks too like you can you know genuinely look into free agency this year and say, okay, who are some of the bigger players that we could potentially get over here and really make a push for it next year? Like, I think you have that flexibility based off the fact that they've been a surprise this year. They're, you know, one of the the top teams in the Pacific Division. They've got an, you know, exciting core of young players. They'll still have got, you know, potentially, I think a lot of it depends on, like, who stays, like Lindholm, Manson, Raquel, guys like that. Uh-huh. Uh, but if, like, let's say Lindholm is still here, you've got a good, kind of defense core to build around you could potentially go out and bring somebody in to replace Manson you could bring in another top six or top nine forward to replace Raquel potentially and and then you've got a chance to really push for it next year right like you you have the flexibility to do that or again if you want to do it at the deadline I think the Ducks could potentially do that this year which is again not a spot we thought uh, that they would be in this early on in uh, in the rebuild or retool or whatever you want to call it um, the last thing I want to get into, we, well, we should mention that Zegers did win uh, NHL rookie of the month for December, which was nice to see, uh, his play get rewarded. 
and uh, making a push for the Calder Trophy. He needs to get back in the lineup here to, to put some more points up to catch Lucas Raymond. But it, it really right. it really feels like a two-horse race between those two at this point. Um, you know, No disrespect to Cider or Drysdale or anybody, but it really it really <coughs> is a, a Seagulls versus man. Raymond. I think Cider is – I feel like Cider is going to have a lot to say just because of how physical he plays. Like he's a big kid and he plays – his size and i just think that's the kind of thing that stands out in young players and then when they're able to successfully throw their weight around like that kind of reverse hit on pasternak was fantastic was a game that cider Um, hit like three guys too it was that against the caps something i don't remember but like he just he plays very big and he's got the highlights and stuff and you know i a lot of people want defense like like you know like Look, the reality is like there's narrative votes here, right? And how many people are going to vote for the big right shot defenseman over the you know goal scoring forward just because it's harder to play defense at a young age and he's doing it at such a high level? You know, I mean, he's probably the best blue liner on the team right now, right? Like, unless I'm forgetting somebody. Oh no, yeah, he's he's their best blue liner. Uh, I mean, it's not a it's not a hard competition right now in Detroit to be their no, best blue liner, but it still, is still impressive like, for sure. That wasn't what he was supposed to be this year. Right? Well, yeah, and, and the fact that when um, the the Red Wings and Iserman took Cider where they did, uh, similar, I guess, to McTavish as well, people were like, "What? Like, why did you take this guy?" Where and now, I mean, they're laughing to the bank the way he's been playing this year. Again, not just the offense because it's there, and I think he's almost at twenty points at this point, if not over that, but the physicality and like how quickly and comfortably he's kind of settled into that side of the game. <laughs> I can't, I can't do this right now. Oh my God. <laughs> this is so bootleg right now. What the hell? We used to be semi-professionals. Jeez Louise. Oh, Eddie's thing is just completely un like literally unhinged. Like I don't, God, I, I just want to call play-by-play on him fighting with this stupid thing right now. Um, but Eddie's an idiot. Moritz Sider is going to win the most votes for the Calder from Detroit. As a Detroit insider, I can say with a firm grasp that this is true. Um, when Eddie is eventually done, I want to play a very fun game, which is who has the 10th highest cap hit coming off the books this year in free agency. Eddie, are you there? Hello, Lord. Did you hear what I said? I can. I don't know if anybody else can, but I can. I wasn't picking up. My God. Oh. (laughs) All right. Here's what we're going to do. For the free agents this summer, right? Who has the 10th highest salary cap coming off the books so who has them like the 10th most salary coming off the books this year in the nhl sorry one player what player is making the 10th largest contract to come off the books damn because there's some big contracts coming off is it bergeron or is he up there bergeron is 11 damn i don't know who is it but he's tied in salary it's Ryan Kessler. <laughs> what what is the point of this? Just to... 
<laughs> just to bring up some I, some sadness here that is he's finally off the books for the no it's not even sadness i it's just it's i i just think it's like legitimately incredible that they've got almost seven million dollars in no money in in nothing being spent yeah, true, they're right not even using they're not Ryan even using Kessler. that yeah but they're not using like i just I, I honestly like when you were like being talking about being players in free agency like i got a little sheepish just because you know how much of a premium are you going to have to play to come to anaheim but at the same time like i think zegers maybe makes it easier to get forwards than yep. defenders uh, well, and then being know, a good team like, this year as well, uh, like that—that that helps right. on your pitch to these players. And, and there's some there's some good players, and again, maybe not like maybe not guys you're you're gonna want to pursue long term contracts for, like you know the Johnny the Johnny Goodrows or the Nazem Kadri's or or you know Ryan Strom, Thomas Hurdle, like those are gonna Philip Forsberg, like there's some big names. They're gonna demand term and money, but I do think they're are a lot of guys that you can look at and say, okay, there, there could be some interest there from both sides of it. Eddie. I can't. It's Phil. It's got to be Phil. It, makes it would be a cheap sense. option for sure. I'm telling you, who uh, like, is there anybody else who would who would be as much fun to sign? Yeah, on a one-year deal? One-year no, deal? Well, maybe Pavelski maybe. Like, uh, like that Pavelski Mike Hoffman deal a couple years ago? Deal, but, uh, yeah. Oh, dude. Bring me to Pavelski oh. and Kessel on one year deals. Just one, one last chance oh, at the dude, cup in Anaheim. Could you imagine <laughs> those two playing with Getsy on like a third line? I'm just like an old man. That would rock. Be a lot of fun. Well, that's it, guys. That's what uh, that's what I've decided I want now is Pavelski, Getsy, and Phil Kessel to be a the third Love line it. for Anaheim. Next um, year. All right, last thing oh, we have to get into before we end the show here, before my mic falls a third time. Um, the, Pierre Lebrun tweeted out uh, that the Ducks have formed a GM search committee, which I love because I feel like I've never heard of this being a thing or like publicly been put out there that they have a search committee. Like Clearly, it, it happens and every team has one. I just don't think I've ever seen put out here that you know these are the guys in the search committee they're looking but for the ducks it's uh niedermeyer paul korea michael schulman who's the duck ceo and president president of business operations aaron teats who is also jason's favorite person and then the owners of course henry and susan samueli but uh interesting maybe not so scotty because he's been involved with the organization a fair amount coaching whatnot i know he's taking a step back now but uh, Paul Korea being a part of that is is interesting to say the least. That he's at least um, been convinced or taking interest in you know in hockey again and in being a part of the Ducks organization, which is fine. We've seen him kind of slowly ease back into that role. I, again, I, I it could very simply be, hey, we're looking at this guy. What are your thoughts? Like it, it it's probably not a a very big mm-hmm. role for him, but it's nice to see him involved and and some update here that the Ducks are starting to push along this decision-making process here. I, I think on insider trading, Pierre Lebrun also said that the, that the Ducks are going to be reaching out to candidates in the next week or so here, or to teams uh, and candidates to see that uh, if they could have an interview with them. So the process is beginning. It's at least starting, which means by maybe February, we have an answer. February, March, we have an answer to what, uh, or at least have the list narrowed down to a few different uh, candidates, hopefully. And, that's when we'll see mm-hmm. um, you know, LeBron and, and Drager and other guys um, kind of 
you know narrow it down for us and give us the candidates here but it's good that this the process is at least kicking up here and is underway yeah i you know i thought the the search committee kind of thing was a really interesting thing to like I, I guess in a way go public with. I thought the names on the list, you know, the the two business side of it all makes sense, right? They're going to have to find somebody that they can work with, and they're probably after the Bob Murray era going to want to restructure some of this as far as the way, you know, power and reporting and all that stuff is kind of controlled and stuff. But like you said, the big surprise was Paul Correa being on there. Um, but the other one that I thought was really interesting is that Todd Marchant wasn't involved. He's the head of player development for Anaheim, and we know – that he's he's been very active and like like active in that role for them, right? Like he's the guy who's traveling to like you know uh, to all like the high schools in Boston, right, where they keep drafting these kids in the four, five, six rounds. Like you know he's talked about going and watching those kids play and speaking to them, and and you know he's the guy that's going to be working with you know players like Sam Colangelo, right, who are going to be maybe development players but have something there, and and I think you know, to not have him in there. Like, I, I'm sure there's a reason maybe he just doesn't, but it's just an interesting thing to me because he feels like based on his role that he would be a very easy person yeah. to include. And, and in you know, process. he might be a guy so. that behind the scenes, they say, Hey, like when the final process comes mm-hmm. into it, you know, when it stops being a search and it's like, Hey, these are our top five candidates. You know, this is, you know, our pros and cons to each of our guys. What do you think? And then maybe he gets involved in the, into that discussion at that point. Because I feel like of all the people, he's probably the guy that has the least time right now to contribute to, like, the search party, right? Where it's, like, okay, we're going to look and compile our list, and that's the point we're at right now. And he, he, he seems like more of a guy, like, when the decision he, needs to be made, he can probably be included in that discussion. Do you think this means there's a chance? I was gonna bring that up. I, I don't know why. Because um... I I didn't even think about it until I kind of shut the fuck up and stopped talking, but it did kind of dawn on me. Like, wait a minute, you know, uh, Solomon isn't involved in this process either. Madden isn't involved in this process either. Well, Madden, Madden, Nonis, and, and understanding um, Solomon are candidates as much as you want to call them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? So like. That's uh, that's the easy one where you're like, okay, those are why those three names are whatever. Two, I'm not known as well. Maybe for for Todd too, it's uh, the closeness of working with all three of those guys on a regular basis, where it does become a bit of an awkward conversation, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I just, it occurred to me maybe that like he could be kind of Chris Drury-ish as far as like coming up through. The organization and, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it's come up and right as my uh, in in their conversations as a potential guy that could be part of that. He could be part of the long list, the 10, 15 names that they start with and narrow down and go from there. Uh, I don't see why not. He's been with the organization for a while and he's been a big part of their player development, obviously, um, as per his role. So he could be a guy that's considered. I just think uh, you know there's there's at least two clear candidates already in the organization in front of him. I can't imagine, mm-hmm. like, even with Dave Donis, they slot four of their, their own guys on there. Uh, I would imagine they know there's a clear favorite um, in the organization already as a candidate. I can't imagine mm-hmm. they would include two guys in, from in the organization on that list. Um, you know, they know Martin Madden, obviously, but Jeff Solomon, I, I think, would be at the forefront of that. 
the fact that he's interim GM is is telling, I think. So he's probably the guy that uh, from or- inside the organization is is at the top of their list. Martin Madden, maybe because he also is getting interest from other teams. Carolina was the most recent one to be reported that had had wanted to talk to him and, and considered him. Um, I think it's Montreal too, right? So so this is Montreal because that's the thing is he speaks French and he would be a perfect because technically he'd be a first time GM, so that would be somebody perfect to bring in under Jeff Gordon. Oh, and um, and kind of uh, you know, and and as we've seen with Martin Madden, like he seems to have a penchant for drafting, which I know some people in Montreal feel has been an issue for them in the past as far as drafting and developing their players. But I want to ask you along those lines, like if Madden doesn't get the job, do you? Think I think he's somebody on this somebody summer? will bring him in. There's a lot of teams looking for a general manager. Vancouver is another one of those teams as well that I think his pedigree and, and again another team who's struggled a bit with their drafting has been Vancouver where I think um mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think he, he he's gonna be at the top of a lot of teams list for just what he's done for the Ducks over the last couple of years and then you look at guys that he's been a part of drafting like Troy Terry who have taken just a massive leap this year that puts a lot of people on notice and puts him kind of at the forefront of discovering him if you want to call it that um and he's already had interest for teams and been involved in discussions in the past so i think for both montreal and vancouver he'll probably be one of those 10 guys that are on their list that will get an interview and uh, like you you pointed for montreal the fact that he speaks french and and uh, pierre lebrun made a point to point out that uh, it's pronounced martin madden <laughs> on, on, on insider trading oh, which i never heard it pronounced like that before which is great um but i think uh, yeah I, awesome. I think that puts uh, definitely puts them um high on montreal's list they're, they're they're going to need somebody who's bilingual it's just part of their organizational structure it's something they always do um, so that limits already who they can kind of go after if that's one of the things that they want to key in on, which I know it mm-hmm. is. Um, so he'll be on that list. And, you know, guys that have already been mentioned, like Danny Briere and a few others, were are, are high on their list as well. But uh, I would imagine he's gone this year if he doesn't become the next GM of the Anaheim Ducks. I, I think the logical next step for him is to become a GM. Um, and I, I think there will be a team that will be willing to take him on. Uh, you know, it's not just Montreal, Vancouver, and Anaheim that are going to be looking. There are going to be other teams that move on from general managers probably in the off season that will also be looking at him. So I, I imagine he he lands somewhere, uh, and Montreal for me is is a likely destination just based on his pedigree. I I, I can't like I don't know what Danny Briere has been doing since playing, but I don't know how he's so high on a lot of these teams' lists. He's been a, he? he's okay. been a junior okay, GM. Okay, well, that's not too bad then. He's he like he's been a GM for the last few years of like an ECHL team or an so AHL the, um, team or something like that. Kyle Dubas like he's been running a team, which is why his name. Yeah, it's it's pretty dope. I, that would be cool. I remember yep. Danny Breer was cool as hell. Um, all right, so I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Let's say they come to you, and they say, Eduardo, we want your opinion. Going into next season, who do you want to be the GM and who do you want to be the head coach? I, I think with a, a lack of knowing all the candidates, my, my answer is still Jeff Solomon for the general manager. Um, there, mm-hmm. There's some good names out there, but I, I think there's a lot to be said from just kind of already being in the job. 
and, and the experience that Jeff Solomon has already. Now, you know, I, I could feel differently after the trade deadline, so we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to go into that one again. But yeah, I think right now my answer is still Jeff Solomon. As for the head coach, um, that's a tough one. Uh, it, again, it, it comes down to the candidates that are available, but I, I'm still not sold on Dallas Aikens. Um, this is a huge audition for him, right? And and he's he does deserve credit for what uh-huh. he's done this year. Like, don't get me wrong, he's been a part of the Ducks' success as much as anybody. Uh, but I just don't know if he is the guy to take them to that next level yet. I feel like, and it's been publicly put out there that he's a coach that kind of needs a lot of help in a lot of areas, at least tactically and strategically, where you bring in a lot of these guys to support him there. I mean. Yeah, I was going to say, they brought in, what, three or four new coaches under him, and the team looks completely different, and he's made a point of talking about him delegating special teams, which are the team's two biggest strengths right now, ironically. like You know what I mean? So, like, as good as he has done, and I think he has done a good job, and I do think that um, he has been a big part of them implementing the kind of new system of being a more attacking team, I still think there are some legitimate questions. We're going to get so much trouble. I already, I already know. Um, <laughs> I, uh, but I think there are still some legitimate questions about, like you said, like his long-term viability as a legitimate coach. Um, for me, the one coach that I have become fascinated with as this team has gotten better yeah. is Claude I've, Julian. Yeah, that's one that's routinely been brought up. Claude Julian to come in structurally with a young, like young offensive players like you know mctavish and zegris dude like damn that is very exciting prospect for me especially because you know he's going to be getting a very good goal and this is probably a bad comparison um I'm already noticing it when I say it, but like vancouver going from travis green relatively young and experienced coach who kind of brought them to you know, d- through that development phase to go uh-huh. from that to no, Bruce to a guy who's had more experience and, and has won in this league before and has been a part of, you know, uh, on the coaching staff for very successful teams. You know, the the Ducks are kind of in need of that switch for next year, I would think. Or at least, you know, I, I just don't think you can bring Dallas Aikens back on a one-year, you know, one-year show-me deal. I just don't think you can. No, he's got to get, like, right. a three-year deal at minimum so, if he's – but, you know, I like – I like that. Yeah, so do I. I would love it if he was the guy to make this step because I just think, you know, goes to Edmonton, fails, uh, leaves Edmonton, nothing really gets better in Edmonton. Not really his fault. Goes to the AHL, works his way up, plays, you know, a great few years with those goals teams, steps up to the big club, struggles a little bit, oh, blah, blah, blah. Now, you know, yay. Like, that rocks. I'm a huge fan of that. But objectively i think there is still plenty of things to be skeptical of as far as whether or not that's really the way that this is going to go and like i said like it seems now that you could say at the very least like segris is legit and if he is you have to jump on that window quick the quicker you can put that team in place to be competitive like really competitive the better it is and if you can get an experienced championship level coach like Claude Julian to come in, put in a system and know <clears throat> that you're going to have young skilled players being able to come in and fill out roster spots as you get forward. Plus, you know, you've got a star. Now you've got a veteran coach 
now you're in California. Now maybe Anaheim looks a little bit better. You know, I mean, I think of um, when, I mean, this is going to sound stupid, but I remember when the Kings signed Rob Scuderi after he won the cup in Pittsburgh. Like that to me, like at that time, that was like, oh shit, like people like take LA seriously now, you know? And, you know, I just, it's very yeah, interesting. It's, it's going to be an, an important decision. I still think the picking the general manager is the most important decision, but. You know, you 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 need to bring in a guy who is still going to allow Zegers to do the things that he's doing, right? Like we we take that for granted a little bit and saying you know, mm-hmm. Dallas Aikens has been pretty you know, open with the players and saying you know letting them kind of express themselves creatively. You need to bring in a guy mm-hmm. who's still going to be able to do that. And, and like you said, I would love for for Dallas Aikens to be the coach and be that guy. I just don't know if he is going to if he's that type of coach yet. Like if he's the guy that will take them to right. you know the western conference final the Stanley cup final and be a competitive team um there's just no pedigree there to say it, it could be him and then there's no you know they're coaching by committee this year which obviously every team does because every team has their assistants and their guys who handle their special teams but it just feels like the ducks are, are doing it a little bit more where it's like uh, you know each guy is kind of doing their one little thing where it's not like the main guy like it's weird that Dallas Akins doesn't feel like the main guy who's like controlling the ship right now uh, as the head coach and uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know I, I, it sounds like nonsense but it, it just uh, I don't have that feeling about him yet that that he really is that guy to take him to the next level despite the Ducks playing well um, I, I think a lot of things have just went right like they brought yeah. in the special teams coaches and that's turned around and then Troy Terry's just become you know the player we we hoped he would be and Trevor Zegers has taken a big step forward this year like how much of those are on the players than the coach right and then how much does he benefit from those mm-hmm. guys just you know being better this year and taking steps forward so it's it's you know and how much are have they done that because of him right so it's hard to 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 kind of say who has right. contributed to what at this point um and, and yeah, it's just it's such a tough decision to uh, to pick if if he's the right guy because it is a you know it's I think it'd be more beneficial for the Ducks if he had one more year, year after this one to really you know mm-hmm. key in and see if he's the guy but the fact that his contract's up at the end of this year it really does kind of force that decision on you right now where I, I highly doubt he mm-hmm. would accept a one year show me contract like you said it would be a, a probably a, like at least a three year deal. Uh, that he would want to lock himself into to some security there, right? And and he's got the success of this year to back that up when he goes into those contract discussions. If he does get to that point to say, "Hey, like I deserve a longer term deal. Look what we did this year." Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with that. You know, um, I think the point you made about almost wanting another year it makes a lot of sense. I it's funny because you know going into this year it was kind of the best case in it like one of the the, the like hidden benefits was that Akins and Murray were yeah. both on the last year of their deal and so it was like okay like no matter what this year is like if this goes the way that we think it's gonna go like it's easy for the whole organization to cut bait they can just kind of walk away from everybody it's clean Murray's already left, so that part's taken out of it. But now you have this GM search, and in the middle of that, you have this team that's overperforming. You've got Akins, who's, you know, seems to be doing a lot of the right things as far as changing the style of play, um, it, you know, getting the specialties play, getting a lot out of these younger players who, 
he worked with in San Diego. I saw a cool tweet from the goals tonight that 13 of the 20 players in the lineup had gone to play, yeah. played for the goals at some point. some point in the last three seasons. I, so it's been like know, a, I mean, a recent pipeline, which is nice. Yeah. And some of that is, you know, a little, yeah. the numbers Kendall, are a little inflated Regan, by like Buddy, <laughs> Buddy Robinson, <laughs> Vinny Lachary, but like, but like still like, you know, they played a lot of young guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kindop's only 22. You know what I mean? It's not like he's, you know, 30 years. Yeah, it's cool for him to get his debut like, against Carter Hart too. They you played know? together in, in Everett, which was, which was kind of fun. Yeah, there was oh, uh, somebody put out a. I think it was the Silver Tips, the Everett Silver Tips themselves. They put out a, a video of Kindop's first shot in the NHL was against Carter Hart, and he saved it. And then gave, Hart uh, walked over to him, gave him a little nudge, and smiled at him. So, because <laughs> they spent like I think that all rocks. four years of of their time in and Everett together playing, which is pretty cool. Oh, that's dope. But yeah, I you know look, they're good problems to have, right? Like it's 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 the best headache to have as far as the way the season is developed, and even as the team does maybe come down to earth a little bit, you know, again, how much of that is some of the roster mix up and some of the just the injuries kind of you know overlapping in odd ways mixed with the COVID protocol and that kind of stuff. But they look comfortably like the fourth best team in the division. Yeah, I think they're they're right in the in the mix with right. Uh, well, even Vegas is is gotten to another level, um, and like so, who are Vegas the top two teams went fully healthy. Clear number one. They've had no Eichel now. They have no Eichel and no Pacioretty, so it's it's a tough go for them. I think right. they lost tonight again um, after they were kind of getting on a roll. So the the Ducks can gain some ground here. But yeah, for me, it's Vegas, and I think Calgary is number two. And then I think Edmund, I think Anaheim's right in the uh-huh. mix there with Edmonton and Vancouver uh, as the fourth best team in the division. I, yeah, I mean, or third best team in the division. So I kind of really want to be a homer and say that other than having two of the five best offensive players in the world, you know, I don't know how much. Better if at all that Oilers roster is not much roster. Yeah, they they don't have much outside you know, of those guys. I, you know, because I mean, are Rico and Nugent Hopkins? A yeah, I would, I would give the slight edge to to Nugent Hopkins, but not by a mile, right? Like it, it's sure. And how much of Nugent's production is playing with either Drysaddle or McDavid when when he was having his top years, right? So it's right. easy to. It's easy to say that, but you know the the depth of their roster. There isn't much there for the Oilers. There there hasn't been, and the goaltending again is a huge right. issue for them with Koskinen and Smith not really playing that well. So, outside of McDavid and Drysaddle, you take you know again having basically the two best players in the entire league on your roster. There there isn't much there to separate you from the Ducks, um, where the Ducks have a little bit more depth spread out across each position than what the Oilers have. They don't, you know, the Ducks don't have those star, superstar level type players yet, but they've... Like, is Lindholm better than Darnell Nurse? I would say yes. I I think most people, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of Darnell Nurse because I I think he gets inflated five-on-five production um, and power play production from playing with McDavid and Drysaddle. And then defensively... You don't think he's going to shoot 20% every year for the rest of his career? Because he's big, he they're like, oh yeah, he's good defensively. But then yeah. you look at the numbers, yeah. So they're like, oh he's yeah, big he must be good too. defensively. Like, you look at his numbers, he's just really yeah. not. He's god awful defensively. He's like, yeah. 
yeah, he's kind of just like randomly an offensive defenseman that just looks like he should be, uh, yeah, you know, like five a hits stay and five blocks monster. a night, and you're like, okay, he must be good, but he he just ha- you know when you look at the underlying numbers, he's just not great defensively. So I would say Lindholm, yeah, is better than him. Uh, and you put Lindholm in that same situation in, in Edmonton, he's probably putting up 40, 50 points, right? Playing if he's playing first power play or even second Jesus. power play and, and playing, you know, top five on five minutes with McDavid and Drysdale, he's, he's probably doing that, doing what, uh, what Darnell nurse did probably scratching the surface of 20 goals because Lindholm can put up 10, 11, 12, 13 goals on a regular basis. He's on pace for 13 goals this mm-hmm. year after getting one tonight or well, what we thought was one tonight, but he's still on pace for around, you know, 12, 13 goals, which is around his kind of career high in his average. So yeah, I would say Lindholm is definitely better there. Obviously Gibson is the better netminder, and Stolarz might be better than both <laughs> Mike Smith and Koskinen, you could argue. Um, but yeah, like it, it's tough. And and then Vancouver, I think they look like a, you know, I've always liked their roster and the players they have. I thought they were better than the way they were playing. And Bruce Boudreaux came in and they've won like six in a row with him uh, being there. I, I think their roster is fairly similar to what Anaheim has. They've got, you know, Demko's, started to to play a lot better yeah i that's fair i think that's yeah i probably overlooked them a little bit because you got besser you've got Patterson, you've got jt Hughes on the blue line so Patter, yeah i mean and then obviously yeah. you've got so Patterson, i think they are better than, than a lot of people give them credit for but again like they're not that much better if better at all than the ducks or than the oilers and again the only thing they're missing is the mcdavid dry settle so i think that's why all three of those teams are are kind of in the mix there um, and and I don't think Cal- I think Calgary is further off Vegas than they are, you know, uh, away from the Ducks and the Oilers and in the, the Canucks. From the Ducks. So I I think there's a, a healthy mix of those four teams in there where where mm. Vegas when fully healthy there's a they're clearly the best. Like once they get Eichel and Pacioretty back and and they start to kind of push into playoff time, I don't think anybody in this division matches them. But those other four teams are kind of right in the mix there. And I guess the Kings have kind of worked themselves into that discussion a little bit too, right? They've, they've been playing better lately. I, look, dude, coming into the season, I had pretty high expectations for the Kings, and they've done nothing but let me down, which, you know, I should have seen coming. Um, but, you know, like, like, would you rather have Markstrom um, or Leonard? Markstrom right now, yeah. I'd rather have Markstrom. And, and I don't know if that's just because the way Calgary plays under Daryl Sutter is more beneficial, right? So it's tough. That's what he played really well in Vancouver that last year. He was there too. That's the thing. Like, we've seen him be very good. I, I don't think it's entirely system. I think he's a good goalie. And, I, you know, I think Leonard's probably better. It's close. But, uh, you know. I, I think you can look at Blatter's sure. numbers in Calgary this year, the backup, and not to say he's been bad, but, you know, his numbers are great this year. He's 5-1-1 one, and one with a 928 save percentage. Like, that team just plays really well defensively. I think they are the second-best defensive team in the league right now, whereas Vegas is 18th. Mm-hmm. So there's something to be said right. about that. I, I think they're fairly close when you you look at them, you know, stylistically and what you know, what they are as individual players, uh, individual netminders, I think they're fairly close, Markstrom and Lehner. Uh But I would I'd give myself a slight edge to Markstrom, um, but it's not by it's not by a lot. 
Yeah, I, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, the Pacific Division's really yeah. weird. Well, the only thing that, that you can say um, for sure is there's that a uh, Seattle and San Jose are the only – they're out of it for sure. Oof, man, Seattle, hey. good lord. Would you uh, – hey, hey, let me ask you this. If it was just cost you a second-round pick, would you trade for Mark Giordano no. at the deadline? If, if I was Anaheim, no. If I was another no. team, maybe. Anaheim, I wouldn't do it. Uh, I, I don't think there's a need for him. But uh, with Fowler and Lindholm, I just don't see the... You don't think... I, I'm being serious. Like You don't think a Giordano Shattenkirk third For a second round pick, I, I don't I don't see why I would bring in a guy to play 15, 16 minutes a night for a second round pick. But is here's my question. Is that what would happen? Or would it just they all kind of play 19, Maybe. 20 minutes a night? Like... Because if you bring Giordano in and he can steady out Shattenkirk a little bit, like I can't believe I'm saying this, but I, it's just something I'm thinking about with Seattle. Fucking garbage. Um, you know, I wonder if, you know, like to the same extent that Claude Giroux or Phil Kessel are ideal targets in that they're expiring vets on big contracts that are going to be harder for those teams to move at the deadline. Like, you know, I, I just wonder if Anaheim walks up with like a second round pick and I don't know, hell, Braden Tracy yeah. or something, right? It's I like, think if they were going to go all yeah. in, it's not a bad move. Uh, I'm not quite at that point yet, but you know, if you're going to go all in and look at guys like Kessel and JVR, and then why not look at Giordano and mm-hmm. use your cap space to your advantage and and you know pay less for some of these guys that still have value, mm-hmm. but less teams would be interested in, so the price isn't going to be as high as it is for some of the top UFAs at the deadline. So I, I think I think he'll get moved. I, I just I think there are yeah. teams that have the cap space and Seattle can eat fifty percent and that he's just a better fit in because he's gonna play on the left side. I, I just I don't like paying a second round pick, even if he's gonna play nineteen for a third pairing guy. Like I just I, I would rather him be in my top four. Um and playing a strong side and being put in a, in a position to succeed. Yeah, I get that. I see I the just, advantage to bringing yeah. him in. Like he is a great player to bring in if you you want to make a cup run. And you need a you know experienced veteran defenseman who still has some some gas left in the tank. Like there's appeal there for sure. Like if like if you could get both of them at fifty percent retained, would that not be even let's let's say you know they go out in the first round or whatever, right? Like. If you can get both of them retained for 50% and not have to give up next year's first, and you add Geo and Phil, isn't that I a think win so. at the deadline? If if you're in an aggressive, like, if you're comfortably in third, right? Like, uh, you know, if you go out and you're like, all right, we're getting another top six center, and another top, or another top six winger, and another top four defenseman, and now we're going to be, you know, all of a sudden we're one of, we have, you know, one of the deepest blue lines around just because the left side is so you know strong. What, you know what is the ultimate power uh, move for me is replacing Raquel and Manson with Kessel and Giordano. <laughs> so moving Raquel and Manson out for go. more of a return and paying, you know, third round picks or I guess a second or whatever for, for Giordano and Kessel. So getting more in return for Raquel and Manson oh, and bringing rock. those two in as expiring deals just to still, again, you you, you don't, lose out on the assets that you should be getting something for but you're you're bringing in guys big fan, still of, this. Kind big of, fan of this push on the run for the playoffs and it's not costing you a lot uh, again a second round pick feels a little rich for me 
Um, but, uh, but I mean, it's going to be what? Yeah, exactly. So I, I think, you know, if you say a second for one and a third plus a prospect for another, and you get, you know, another first for Raquel and a second plus for Manson. So you're kind of offsetting the assets there. You just kind of swap some guys out and swap some picks around and you got another first instead to replace that second. Like I could justify that in the sense that, you know, you, you didn't really lose anything. Mm-hmm. You lot, you know, you, you got a little bit of an increase in your assets and where you're going to be drafting and you still can make a run without having to lose some of these guys for nothing. But again, at that point, if you're just you're evening out on the assets, what's better to have? Is it better to just keep Raquel and Manson and go for the run with the guys you have or have Kessel and, and Giordano? Right. So it, it's tough at that point. It's a really tough kind of balancing act to walk the line and decide what the Ducks should do, which makes the trade deadline that much more interesting for us this year. Yeah, no, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a blast. But we're running on an hour and a half. We should probably get out of here because I think it's uh, Friday <laughs> about, for you now. About that. It's been a while since we did a late post-game show, so surprise, surprise. I know, man. It's kind of nice. Year. But, hey, Troy, you had Troy Terry hat-trick watch, so we had – I like how we went through this an hour and 24 minutes and didn't discuss Troy Terry's hat-trick. <laughs> what, what was there to say? Like, yeah, he played, he played really fucking well tonight, but – only two guys you have know, more goals I, than him. Drysdale like, and Charlie, Ovechkin. That's impressive. Suck it, Connor. Um, I have a personal vendetta against Connor McDavid. I don't know why. It's fine. Um, but Charlie O'Connor of the Athletic mentioned he was like, "The reason I'm not tweeting about this game is there's not much to tweet about." And like, I it kind of felt like that. Like, right? Like the game was to some degree engaging. Like there was stuff going on. Like there was the whole. Uh, Lindholm connect me thing, which was great. Uh, you know, there there was like stuff that happened, but the game itself, there wasn't really yeah. a ton that no, was super. It, it was a boring four one you know, win, and, if you want to call it that. Like it was still, it was a fun game to watch, but it wasn't like like home, yeah. Packed. It was. It's, it's kind of it's exactly what you expect a Tuesday regular yeah, season one January where game the to be. best players on both teams are missing due to COVID protocol. So. <laughs> You know, you know, no Drew, yeah, no Kachuri, exactly. no Provorov, no Getzlav, no Zegers, no Henrik. Like it, it's kind of what you you expect, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's because twenty minutes of it was talking about Mrs. Met, <laughs> and uh, another twenty minutes talking about Mason McTavish at the Olympics. So that's how we talked ninety minutes about this game. <laughs> All right. Well, it was a lot of fun getting back on the show. We are going to uh, be back regularly, hopefully, as long as the NHL keeps playing hockey games. Uh, We'll be back with our weekly shows. Um, I would imagine we would have one this weekend, hopefully, with the guys to get another weekly show going. Um, For anybody who's wondering what's going on with Ducks Morning Brew, um, the fact that I live in Ontario, Canada, makes it difficult for me right now to get up and, and do these shows. Um, kids haven't gone back to school, and our, our, that's been pushed back. So for me to get up and record those shows has been has been tough. So it, it's not dead. Uh, it's on a, a little bit of pause right now until uh, I can figure that out, until uh, my daughter goes back to school and I have a bit more time to record that in the morning. So hoping to kick that back up in the next couple of weeks here uh, and cover some of the some of the the kind of obscure topics that uh, that we want to cover uh, that we can't cover on every show, but uh, we we dove into a lot of those that we would have normally covered on Ducks Morning Brew tonight, which was was kind of nice to get into that. But uh, yeah, planning on on um, 
on kicking that back up uh, again hopefully soon just whenever whenever the Ontario government can figure figure things out and get things back to normal here which uh, I know is the case for a lot of you out there but uh, getting getting that backed up again so Doug's more Ducks morning yep, brew exactly. is in COVID protocol. And I, I, I might be in soon. <laughs> I'm feeling not too great right now. So it could be the fact that it's 2.38. Oh, um, my God. We'll see. Yeah. But, uh, thanks Thursday. to everybody who came out live and is still here so. uh, an hour and a half in after this game. Yeah, what the fuck are you people doing? Go to bed. Uh, we'll, we'll keep you guys updated uh, on the weekly show. Hopefully Pat and Jason, if not both of them, can join us this weekend and we can have a full crew. Uh, for all our Patreon members, no, we didn't forget about you. Uh, we are... <laughs> we are. Steven and I have a lot of uh, bonus ideas that we want to get into that we're going to find time to record. And then whenever we can get the majority of us uh... together, we will record a Pucks and Brews. That's kind of been the big stumbling block is getting at least three of us on to do the pucks and brews. So we're hopefully we can put one of those out soon. Maybe do another watch along, uh, as well. <laughs> Korea, Korea forever in the chat said they're still hosts. Yes, they're still hosts. Pat and Jay are still a, a major part of the show. We'll hopefully get them back on as, as soon as they're, they're ready and able to. Yes. Spiritually. They're here with us. They said, but thanks everybody for, for coming out tonight. Thanks everybody who listened after the fact, it's nice to be back and uh, we'll see you hopefully this weekend.